Today's reading comes from Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the co- this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we sing and cry out to you that you would calm our souls. We can't do this in and of ourselves, God, and this is only a work of you. And as we humble ourselves and again come before you through your word as your people have done through the millennia, God. In all circumstances, as Sam was saying, in the, in the heights and in the lows, in our joy and in our sorrow and our, our exuberance and our deep depression, God, we have nowhere to go but to you. And so to you we come again and again and again. And so, Heavenly Father, we ask and we beg and we plead that you would make yourself known through your word. Amen. A 77, ugly, ugly, three-quarter ton pickup truck was the first truck that I had. And it was one of those trucks where you could sit in there and if you would like rub the dash and sat in the seat right and give it a little choke, but not too much, and a little bit of gas, but not too much. And if it wasn't too cold nor too hot, it might actually start. And then you'd be on your way down the road and... There was nothing you could do, but it it says though this truck was ordained by its creation to expose my sin and all of my countless throwing wrenches and doing, saying things that I can't say now and all of these things at at this inanimate object that did nothing but expose the sin that was so prevalent in my own heart. But then it happened. I got a new truck. It was beautiful. It was this four by four. It came off a ranch in South Dakota. Chevy pickup. It was, went from a 77 to an 85. It was still old enough to itself, you know, drive and vote at that time. And it was, it, it, this thing was amazing. It was bulletproof. You could use it, run down deer. I once hit it with a tractor, this huge, uh, it was a 1065 international tractor, if that means anything to you. Didn't even leave a dent in it. It was amazing. It was unstoppable. You could try to get it stuck. And it would just laugh at you, you know. It was unstoppable. And it never failed you. 
And it's as though having this new truck transformed me in a way. I was no longer swearing and cussing and throwing wrenches. I was just delighting in this beautiful machine. And that, my friends, is what God is doing through this text. He's taking us out of the old and bringing us into the new. Bringing us out of the old where our sin is exposed again and again and again. And into the new where we are brought and transformed and brought to a place where we will delight in our Creator. So in Jeremiah 31, we see that God's relationship with His people... It will transform you and it will purge you. It will transform you from delighting in sin to delighting in God. And it will purge you. When you fail, you no longer have to walk in fear or disgust. But you know that your sins are taken away and they will be remembered no more. So what are we going to see here? Verses 31 and 32, we're going to see about how we should enter into this new relationship with God. That's the verses 31 and 32. And then in 33, we're going to see how we receive, the people of God, receive a new heart. Then finally, in verse 34, we see how we should delight in the forgiveness of God. Delight in the forgiveness of God. So as Adams was preaching last week, we see that Isaiah is rightly called, uh, throughout church history, it's been called the fifth gospel, with so many direct allusions pointing right to Christ. And as Sam has already mentioned, that Jeremiah is called this weeping prophet. Have you? Have you ever seen a, a whole nation, a group of fans or a family, just turn all at once? To embrace sin. And you plead with them. Not only for your own sake. But for their sake. To turn from their sins. But they won't do it. And eventually. This last moment comes. So with Jeremiah. When he's entering his ministry. He's entering it as one of the spiritual highs. In the land of Judah, Josiah has found the law and they're having a spiritual rebellion. When he enters into his ministry and when he's called into being a prophet, Josiah's in the midst of tearing down the high temples. But in the end here, in the, his ministry of faithfulness, what's the fruit of his ministry? He sees it go from spiritual highs Falling all the way down, going off into exile. You see in Lamentations 4 there, the distress that will fall upon the people there. The tongue of the infant cleaves to the roof of its mouth because of thirst. And the little one asks for bread, but no one breaks it for them. This is Jeremiah's ministry. He went, he's not the guy that would be called to go speak at conferences or anything like that. No, no. He would be overlooked by everything that we uphold. But he's faithful to God through it all. 
So what's happening here politically is what's going on in the world is you have the, the Assyrian Empire that's ruled the world now for now 250 years is beginning to crumble. And when empires crumble, they crumble fast. The Assyrian Empire is beginning to crumble and, and now they're in 612, they've lost their capital Nineveh to the Babylonians and they're basically this army now on the run. So what do they do is they, they partner with Egypt and they go, okay, well, what if us old two powers gather together, then we can take on the Babylonians, this new upstart. And then maybe we can push them down and we can retain our power. Okay, sounds good. So Pharaoh Necho is going to go through Israel to go up and fight with the Assyrians against the Babylonians. And he's going through, and King Josiah says, no, 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 you're not going to go through. And, and Necho tells him, I don't want to fight you. If I wanted to take your land, I would have already taken it. I don't want it. I want to go fight these Syrians. And it's like the the old uh, Johnny Cash song, you know, don't bring your guns to town, son. Leave your guns at home. Bill, don't bring your guns to town. Well, Josiah brought his guns to town. And he gets shot with an arrow. And he's killed. And then they're under Egyptian rule for three more years until the Babylonians take over and demolish the Assyrians. They don't have a capital. Now they don't have a people. They're done as an empire. And they also take over the the Egyptians as well. So it goes from a little bit of freedom to being under the Egyptians for a while until the Babylonians come in and then they take the Egyptians and now they're under them. And and then Mathaniah is put up as the king and he becomes Zedekiah, the last king. And so in the midst of this 30 years, you go from spiritual highs, tearing down high places, to a little bit of misstep, an ungodly king, an ungodly king, and a final ungodly king, whose sons are killed before him and his eyes are plucked out, so it's the last thing he'll ever see. And the people are carried off, starving, into captivity. So what's happening, though, that's the political world. That's what you read in the history books. Internally, there's a reason for all of these empires shifting and moving. It's because the people of God, what do they do? They turn from apathy towards sin, towards the law, to numbness. And then from numbness, they actually go to delighting in evil. And then from delighting in evil, they take the next step to actually hating those who started over here, and rather than just delighting in evil, they actually hate those who delight in God. So as Jeremiah looks around, you can see in Jeremiah chapter 9, that he, that the people of God, they wearied themselves, wearied themselves by committing iniquity. They chased after it so hard that they wearied themselves from it. And in the midst of this bleakness, as though the darks, the, the lights have all been put out and the darkness is beginning to reign, comes these words of hope, a beacon of light and hope for the weary soul. And he writes, Behold, the days are coming declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the old covenant 
which I made with the fathers on the day I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was a, a husband, I was their husband, declares the Lord. Now this old covenant, it was intended to be a transition time. This Mosaic covenant was intended to be a transition. It was never intended to be the end. It's like an engagement the engagement, it's, it's, it serves its purpose, and then it's done. You go on to the new covenant, the, the new marriage, and then that goes on forever. And so you have this little bit, this little period of time, the engagement, and it serves its purpose. And so you see now that this is going to be set aside, the old covenant that had served its purpose is going to be set aside so that the new might come. And then look at the text here. Who do you see? Who is the actor? Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I, God is the actor, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. This is, this is in line with what God has been doing from Genesis and will continue to do through Revelation. And the, the Noah covenant, the covenant with Noah, he floods the earth and then he sets up the rainbow and he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Noah, not because of your righteousness, not because of the people after you are going to be righteous, but I'm going to make a covenant with you that I will never again flood the earth. And so it was unilateral. It had nothing to do with the goodness of the people. Here we, here we are right now, reveling in sin, just like they did before. But we know... We shall not be flooded away. Same thing with Abraham. God comes to Abraham. It's not Abraham coming to God. God comes to Abraham. He's a pagan idolater. You see in Joshua 24. He's a pagan idolater. And God comes to him and he tells him, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your great, your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. See, this, again, had nothing, like it had nothing to do with Noah. It had nothing to do with Abraham. God is just saying, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to use you. And through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Same thing with Noah, with David, uh, with, with uh, Abraham, and now also with David. He's... It's unilateral. God makes this promise to David that one of his children will sit on Christ, will sit on the throne and sit on the throne forever. There's nothing David can do to thwart it. Keep turning. Four chapters later, he commits murder with Uriah and takes advantage of Bathsheba. But in the midst of that, God's covenant faithfulness was not ending. But then you get to this Mosaic covenant. Which was again to be temporary and set it inside. And so you have this covenant, all of these from Noah to Abraham to the Davidic covenant, they're all unilateral. There's nothing they can do to lose it, otherwise they would have. But you get to the Mosaic covenant and what do you get at the end of Deuteronomy? You have all these blessings and cursing, blessing and cursing. And so this particular covenant, the Mosaic covenant wasn't unilateral. There's something that people can do to betray God through this. Hence, the blessings and the curses. So when God is saying that He's going to do something new, there's a continuation of what's already been done throughout history, that He's going to take the initiative, but He's going to make a new covenant, and we still need a covenant 
that can deal with the sins of the people of God and a covenant that cannot be broken. Remember, my covenant that they broke. Well, we need a covenant that the people can't break. Hence, the new covenant. And so you still have the blessings and the cursings, but it's switched. And all the curses that we deserve are put upon the head of His Son, Christ. And all the blessings that He has had throughout all of eternity come to us through faith in Christ. So then we have this this sacrifice that will be there as well. And it will be through the sacrifice of the new Messiah, Jesus Christ. So what do we do? Enter into this new relationship with God. Our old nature, the way we're born, we're born with this wired brain that tells us, if I do good, I'm going to be blessed. If I do poorly, I'm going to be cursed. But we need to enter into a new relationship with God where the blessings and the cursings are switched as we just talked about. Where Christ will take all of the cursings and we will have all of the blessings. And as long as we have this this old relationship with God where we think it's all entirely dependent upon us, we're just going to fail. That's all you're going to do. And you know it. You can't even keep your own standards, your own conscience. You violate it every day. What makes you think you're going to keep the standards of God? You're not going to be able to do it. So you must have a new relationship with God. You must have a new covenant with God. That is not built upon the footings of your own works. Not one block of your own efforts. For as much as it's dependent upon us, we will fail. And we'll fail miserably. So what do we do then? When we enter into this new covenant with God, what's then the fruit of it all? Let's look here in verse 33. For this is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Okay, here it is. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. This is the the new covenant that we have in Christ. You see the Mosaic law, where was it written? It was written on tablets and tablets of stone. It's though the, the externalness and the, the coldness and the stone of the law was reflected in their hearts, that their hearts were stone and their hearts were hard as well. So this external law, as long as it's written on the tablets, we can point to it. We can be righteous. We can point other people to it. But as long as it's external, it won't do anything. Even in the Old Testament, they, they knew this. That's why Moses is pleading with them. Hear, O Israel, and the Shema here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I have commanded you today shall be upon your heart. Even Moses knows as long as they're written on the stone, they're going to do us no good. It's like having the Bible on your shelf. Ding, ding. Great. You look good when company comes over. Fantastic. You know, mark it up a little bit. Good job. 
So the religious failure for thousands of years of people who are born in the same sin that you and I are born into, their religious failure through all of this time was this disgrace towards these outward ordinances that were externally exposed or imposed upon them. What are, they, what are you going to do? You, you need a new heart, but what are you going to do? You're going to do surgery on your own soul? No, you can't. You know that you need it written upon your own heart. Even if you see the need for it, you're unable to do anything about it. So what do they need? What do you need? What do I need? What do we need? We need God to act in such a way that this inward hostility towards this external law that's written up there, that is a reflection of who God is, that it will be washed away. And this is what God does when He takes the law off the tablets, off the stone, and places it within our hearts. And you see here this this beautiful Semitic repetition that's going on here. I will put it within them and I will write it upon their hearts. It's not just external, but I will put it within them. But I'm not only going to put it within you, But I'm going to pull the letters off the stone and I'm going to write it on your heart. The very place that is the the seed of your emotions and your all of your desires. And so under this new covenant, your heart's desire will be to obey the law. Not to walk in rebellion against the law. Not to hate it. Not to do good when other people are listening or watching. No, your heart's desire is going to be to do the very things of God. And this is what the people of God need. And this is what the world needs. So he's thinking, you know, big deal, right? Thanks. I hope you realize no other religion, no other philosophy, no other faith can offer you this. And you have to admit it that this is what you want. You're tired. You're tired of trying to do well when you know you can't. You're tired of trying to get pure water out of this stagnant pool. And so all of these other religions, whatever they might be, all they're able to offer you, New Age cults, Islam, Buddhism, whatever they might be, they can offer you a moderately version, better version of yourself. That's it. But you are made in the image of God. And so you don't want to be transformed into a slightly better version of yourself. No, you want to be transformed to be in the image of God, completely made in the image of God with this transformed heart. It's as though we're outside of Eden, gazing in because of our sin. And we think, well, you're going to scale the wall by doing a little bit less of the things that got you kicked out? No, it's foolishness. You're going to do a little bit more good and a little bit less of the bad? And you think that'll be enough? No, no, my friends. You need a heart that is completely, completely transformed by God. And this new covenant... It's instituted by Christ. 
But this writing of the law within them and placing of the law within them and writing it on their lave, their hearts, this comes when the living God Himself, the Holy Spirit, fills His people. How gracious of God. How good of God. To not continue to give you these standards that you know you can't live up to. No, He says, okay, I'm going to send you My Son. And then I'm going to, we're going to, both of us sit together, the Father and the Son are going to send the Holy Spirit, and He's going to dwell within you, and change your hearts, and make you desire the very things of God, the things that you used to hate. And this is why He's able to say with, with absolute clarity and certainty that I shall be the God, and they will be my people. No longer will He say, Lo, me, not my people as He did with Hosea. But He will be our God and we shall be His people. Now lest you think for a moment that the Christian faith doesn't fix the problems of the world. Let me tell you this. Problems of the world are not inflation or taxes or communism or COVID. Those are not the problems of the world. The problems of the world are there are countless souls walking around right now who do not know God. That they can not say, He is my God. And He will not look down upon them and say, They are my people. That is the problem of the world. So Christianity is absolutely relevant. And we must not distort it at all. Not going back. This is why He says, For they shall all know Me. In verse 34, which he had a little bit. Every one of them who has the Spirit of the living God dwelling within them, every one of them shall not be lost. Every one of them shall know God and He will be their God and they will forever be their His people. For they're not just physical descendants of Abraham. No. You go through the Old Testament... Yeah, they're they're Israel, but not all Israel is Israel, if you know what I mean. They're descendants of Abraham, but they're not children of the faith. You see this in our own families. Look around, your brothers and sisters who aren't believers. So everyone, they shall all know this is why we need a pure church. Entirely made up of the people of God. So what do you do? All right, I'm not naive. I know some of you are not believers. What do you do? Just joyfully admit you have nothing. And ask God at this very moment to give you a new heart. You come to this place where you're like a boxer on the ropes and you, am I going to keep turning to myself again and again and again and dive deeper into this sin that I that I hate, but I can't get out of? But when you completely come to the end of yourself, you know that the greater the brokenness in which you enter into the graces of God, the greater the glory He shall receive. So don't clean yourself up. And all of your sin, just come to Him. In the midst of your addiction, pornography, struggles and marriage, whatever it might be, just come and come to Christ. So don't wait another moment. Don't harden your hearts. Just come to God today. 
For today is the day of salvation. If you are in Christ, what do you do? Know that you have the living God dwelling within you. That you are a new creation. You're a new creation who is now yet still in the flesh. So though while we sin, if you're in Christ, you can proudly say, Lord God, I know there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. How easy it is for us so we, even though we believe in God, we're, we're being made into a new creation to go back to the old man, to go back to the old law and say, God doesn't love me because I'm not doing this, this, and this. Or I'm not raising my children right. I'm not doing this right. I'm not doing that right. Therefore, God is starting to turn His face away from you as though the Son of God Himself wasn't enough to take your sins. As though the living Spirit within you can't carry you along through it. But He will. And you know it. So you can rest assured that he who has become, or he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. How can we say that? Well, look at this last sentence here. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Brothers and sisters, this is the new covenant with God. It's a relationship not built upon your ability or, or a bleeding bird or a bleeding beast. No, hits a branch or no priest can bring us this. But only Christ is built and it is drawn from the fount of Christ's blood. So I, Jeremiah is writing, Behold, the days are coming. And right now we look back and go, Praise God, the day has come. There he is in the upper room with his disciples. And he's holding the cup. And he tells them that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. This this sure sacrifice, this eternal sacrifice of the eternal Son of God who is able to take our sins upon himself so that we might receive his righteousness. Brothers and sisters, this is why you delight in the forgiveness of God. Because when he said it is finished upon the cross, you can't undo it. Delight in the finished work of Christ. Delight in the effectiveness of this new covenant that we are now under. For your sins have been purged from your heart. Brothers and sisters, and they will be remembered no more. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, though we have so much sin in our hearts, God, we know that we can come to you in great confidence. Not because of our greatness, but because of the mercy of your Son, our true High priest, who's interceding for us at this moment, we know that the goodness of your son will never wane. And so our communion with you will never wane. And God, we pray and we ask that you would allow us to delight in the work of this new covenant. That we would not look back at our own failures, that we would not look back at our own goodness, 
that we will look to your Son and your Son alone. And in Him, and in Him alone, we have peace, love, and communion with you. Amen. Amen.